Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast, in association with Retail Focus Magazine. Brought to you by Visual Thinking, inspiring retail performance. Hello, I'm Lucinda Bowden, and welcome to the latest unmissable episode of the Retail Exchange Podcast, as we ask the question, what do shoppers want? It's the big question that every retailer wants to know. And to find out, they're investing increasing amounts of money in shopper insight. Economic and cultural changes, new technology developments and the growing pressures of modern living means that the way we shop is rapidly evolving. So how can retailers successfully engage with the complex and disparate mindsets of the modern shopper? Has the time come for a major rethink in the way retailers approach shopper engagement? Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by Kate Nightingale, the founder of Style Psychology, Danielle Pinnington, the founder and owner of Shoppercentric, and Victoria Buchanan, visual trends researcher at the Future Laboratory. Well, let's start with exploring the difference between the shopper and the consumer. Victoria, do you think that the distinction between the two is clear in the minds of the retailer? I'm not so sure that most retailers necessarily realise that, you know, somebody who's making that decision in store, they might not be necessarily purchasing for themselves. I think one of the biggest things that we've seen at Future Laboratory is this idea that, um, you know, you can't necessarily segment people by their demographic anymore. What are your thoughts, Kate? Definitely uh, more and more often sort of we're buying things for other people. For example, myself, I, I do buy some stuff for my sister because uh, she just absolutely hates shopping. It's a, a biggest nightmare for her. So I do it for her. The problem is that a lot of the data analytics do not recognize that it's not me buying those things, for example, on Amazon and giving me recommendation based on the purchases that I made for my sister, which are clearly different if you look at even really basic psychographics such as personality, general mindset, um, the type of, for example, literature that I normally read, you would be able to easily recognize it as a human being, yet the algorithms are not being designed for it. So um, I wouldn't rather try to differentiate so much between the shopper, consumer or customer because people that are working for retailers, they have way too much work to do already. Let's just think about the human and how the human really buys and why they buy. Whether they buy on a fast mission or whether they buy as a social interaction with their friends. Those are the things and really target the real basic human needs. Danielle, what's your perspective on that? Do you think the focus should be on the person or do you think that the retailer needs to do more in order to meet the needs of both the shopper and the consumer? I think their priority should be the person that's in the store or that's online um, and assume that that person has particular purchase needs or you know, they've, they're on a mission. They're trying to fulfil that mission. You want to convert them from looking to buying. Um, some of the how you do that is bound to be influenced by their consumption habits. So you need to be sort of aware of that context. But the reality is, how do I get them from looking at my product to actually making a purchase? What are the influences that I can use, whether it's in the in-store environment, whether it's online, to just nudge them along or to make sure I'm not creating a barrier, um, which is something we often talk about, you know, when, when um, you put products in the wrong place, they're not next to naturally related products. 
products. And retailers often think, well, if I put them somewhere different, then shoppers will notice it. Well, they might notice it. Um, they, you know, if you move the chocolate out of the chocolate aisle to make people or put it next to the tills, that classic debate, put chocolate next to the tills, you'll sell lots. Um, yes, you will potentially, except soon enough, parents will say, would you stop doing that? Because now my kids are shouting and screaming about having chocolate and there's a reason I don't go down that aisle. I'm trying to manage my purchasing behaviour, if you like. So there's so much that retailers need to understand now that I don't think they necessarily get from simply looking at basket data, looking at the big data. They miss those nuances because we are very different. Every time we go into a shop these days, we're different. Let's come to you now, Victoria. What's your perspective on this? Yeah, I guess there I was just thinking about, um, I saw a statistic last week that said that women control 70 to 80% of all um, consumer purchasing. And yet when you think about a lot of industries, for example, automotive or technology, they don't really speak to women at all. And often it is the woman that's kind of making that final decision. So I think actually there's lots of industries that um, segment by gender and they're kind of getting that wrong too, which is, um, yeah, a problem when you start to think about the products that are being designed and then the advertising that then is trying to um, push that message through. And then the experience that you then get in store um, doesn't necessarily match up to the person who kind of has that decision at the end of the day. How would you define shopping missions? Are established shopper missions still relevant in today's evolving retail world? Well, we've so certainly noticed that shoppers are more thoughtful about the decisions they're making, and that sort of grew out of credit crunch. So we've moved from, I want it, to do I need it? And that then takes us that step further to, do I like what it's selling me? But there's an increasing awareness that these factors do matter to us. And I think that's only going to grow, um, particularly with what's happening around us. So you you can't dismiss the context of uh, sort of the anti-establishment, the issues around corporate retail that have been going on, the need for greater transparency, the desire for greater transparency. If somebody says this is 100% meat, well, what quality meat is that? Because a couple of years ago, it ended up being horse meat. You know, so there's, there's a lot that shoppers are thinking about now not always consciously to be fair and as I say not always as thoughtful as your average eco warrior but certainly it's a trend that's increasing and I think that will carry on playing out much further than we're seeing at the moment. You mentioned there that shopper becoming much more conscious and aware of the different products and the different choices they have available and also this rise in the brand for me the personalization the shopper looking for something that really identifies them How has this behaviour been influenced, Victoria? How have shoppers become this way inclined? How can retailers respond to it? I would say in the last five years, we've seen that consumers are becoming increasingly overwhelmed by choice. This idea that um, we're kind of living in the age of attention where attention is this kind of scarcest resource and brands, you know, in order to communicate to people. If you think now, you know, you've got social media, you've got advertising, people are kind of bombarded by choice. You know, you go into Amazon and Amazon's all about being able to get absolutely anything that you want. You could just keep scrolling and scrolling and they will never run out of new things to show you. Um, But I think that there's almost this idea that we kind of are starting to feel suffocated by all of this choice and actually we want the brand to curate and edit 
based on our personality and based on what that brand knows about us. People are becoming aware that brands are now collecting all of this data. So I think brands that can really kind of create an edited version um, of that shopping experience in the future um, will for certain be um, capturing that consumer's attention. And I think that's potentially where, well, that's part of the rise of the convenience store. Although, you know, you pay a little bit more, you actually feel you save a bit because you're not being tempted so much and the choice is easier and you can do things more quickly. So um, you're seeing an increase now in the little and often shopping. Um, In fact, we're now learning that doing little and often means we avoid waste. Um, We're not tempted by so much. The choice is slightly easier for us as well. Um, So there's a lot that's happening that's kind of coming together, if you like. The retailers, though, I think are still on the back foot on that one, that although they're coming up with lots and lots of convenience stores, they're not tailoring those stores enough. So those stores don't recognise the environment they're in. Am I in central London? What else is around me? Who is it? Is it commuters that are coming through? So people leaving work? Is it um, mums on the school run that are that are dropping in? That kind of, even that level of tailoring is only just starting to take place. And that's taken a long time to come through. You know, this idea that planet... Tesco could just put its um, squished down version of the choices into a convenience store and assume that's right is wrong. Kate, too much choice? Uh, definitely too much choice. And um, naturally, our brain is designed in a way that uh, we process way more information subconsciously and therefore make more decisions subconsciously than consciously, which of course helps us in that uh, uh, that too much choice. So to be precise, our brain processes 11 million bits of information per second subconsciously and barely 40 bits of information consciously. So what we do is we use certain cues such as uh, color, textures, um, specific shapes, um, you know, uh, specific sort of stereotypical uh, connections. But our brain uses all of those cues as well as more to gather information very quickly and decide, is this product really what I'm looking for? So uh, we do have to take into account how that works. And as you precisely said, Danielle, is understand how we can bring that customer from, okay, I need to make this decision and this particular choice, how we can give them quickly precisely what they want. So yes, recognize what is that they want, even beyond what they know that they want, and then give it to them. What are the biggest influences then in the shopper's purchasing decision? You talked about how many decisions are made subconsciously. What can retailers do to really hook into that subconscious. Simply understand how the brain works and what is that they want to communicate. And so we, for example, uh, challenge uh, brands and designers to think about emotions, behaviors and decisions they want to create in that specific moment of a customer journey. Because you're going to use different sensory cues, different calls to action, um, different uh, textures, colors, lighting, sound, everything to uh, curate specific sort of emotions, behaviors, and decisions at that given moment. If you just basically understand um, how brain sort of processes information, so basically human perception and what it did for um, sort of creates in terms of emotions, behaviors, and decisions, then you can do almost anything. 
Danielle, what do you think about this emotional connection? How important is it? Oh, hugely important, particularly for um, the more emotive categories. You know, food, for example. It's interesting. Shoppers for years have said, I shop with my eyes. And 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 yet you go into retail, a classic grocery store and you think you're just bombarded with visual stuff. And I think we're learning how visual we are in terms of we're using things like emojis. You look at Snapchat, you look at all of these social media. It's all about image. And yet we're only just learning the role of image within stores. Shoppers can tell us that very easily. You know, they make snap decisions on the basis of what they can see. And I think we're going to see more of that coming into stores, that it won't just be how many products can you shove on shelf. It'll actually be how can you display them in a way that that entices shoppers or gets them to see something different. But that, again, it takes knowing what shoppers need um, and how they're going to make their decisions, both subconsciously and consciously as well. Victoria, you were nodding in agreement there to Danielle. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the emotion thing, I think, is super interesting. We've seen in the last year Apple investing in emotion recognition technology. Um, There's talk that the Amazon Alexa in the future will be able to understand your emotion based on your voice inflection when you're speaking and then tailor, you know, the music that it's playing. And when when you start to think about the products that it will then be shopping for you. So how can you really create that experience that then... um, help someone find the product that they want based on the mood that they're in. And um, as you just mentioned, that idea of, you know, people are increasingly looking to have those emotional experiences. The rise of emojis is just one example of the way that people are increasingly looking for ways to really kind of add that expression onto onto their um, into their conversation. So I think this idea um, of emotions becoming more important is just going to grow and grow. It's an interesting one for the retailers, though, because if you follow someone on a journey through a store and you ask them to measure their emotions, if you like to tell you how they're feeling, um, it's being aware that emotions are hugely important, but just capturing the emotion isn't enough. Understanding the emotion, understanding how you tackle that and how you use it to the benefit of the brands or the the retailer and ultimately, therefore, for the shopper, that it, it should have a benefit for the shopper. But how important is that human connection still in store when we're shopping? So important. I think all of the statistics at the moment are showing that while all of this amazing technology is coming to the fore to help us, people want to rely on that human um, advisor, you know, that trusted when you walk into the store, knowing that you're going to get the answer that you need from from that human person is um, is really important. And actually, I think it's been shown that um having um, human interaction in store is actually a key driver for discovery and discovering new products and that they actually see a much better uptick of people um, purchasing when it's driven through that human experience. Well, you look at someone like Apple, you know, their stores aren't held up as great stores just because they're full of lovely kit and nicely designed. It's also because you can talk to someone. Um, You can access that information and that person isn't just there to read off a script. They love their product so much, they will talk to you to the nth degree about the products and tell you things that you might not have been aware of. And it's, it's tapping into that passion, which actually is about the emotion again, making that connection. Um, in order to help that person feel more um, grounded in the decision they're going to make. Leading the customer, the shopper, through their purchase decision, having an impassioned salesperson, is this the key to the future, Kate? Um, To be honest, it's key to any type of relationship. If there is a person that smiles at you in a store, you are much more likely to sell than 
if you had a wonderfully designed store and I don't know what else. Uh, really, that's the biggest selling tool, that smile, that simple aspect of being seen by someone out there, being listened to for a moment. Those are the things that will sell, that really um, simple nonverbal elements. We can't understand everything by just analyzing uh, if someone is happy or sad on their face. But why are they happy or sad? Where does that fine line between using technology and seeing that as the future then shift into the tangible elements of shopping? Victoria? I mean, I think he, as human beings, right, we've always been social. We've always seen retail as a space to be convivial, to meet people. That's kind of as re retail over the ages. I think increasingly as people outsource some of these decisions to technology, then it changes the role of what the physical store then becomes. How important do you think the store environment is to the brand, Victoria? I think it's hugely important. I think there was um, a couple of years ago almost this idea that, you know, the store's dead, everyone's going online. Um, but I think clearly we can see that stores are still alive. If you go to Oxford Street on a Sunday, for example, it's so busy hustling and bustling. Um, I think, you know, this idea, it's almost the idea that the store is kind of transforming to meet our needs. Um, so, you know, now we're looking for experiences. We're looking to get that extra level of customer service. So before when the store perhaps would have been stocked to the rafters with product, now you don't necessarily need to have all of that product. Um, there's a store in the US called Reformation where they just have one of each dress and then you order on the screen um, and then the staff will deliver the dress to the changing room for you there and the whole idea is that it's supposed to be built around this idea of the apple and the tesla store where the staff can then really focus on the customer service so i think you know we will all we have always been um social and physical retail um fills that need for us danielle so it's all yes it's going back to basics in some respect, the basics of shopkeeping, as opposed to being a store, um, that you're there to encourage people to look at things and try things um, that they might not do normally. I mean, we used to talk quite a bit, or clients would certainly talk about, I need to increase the dwell time in my category. I need people to spend more time in my category. And you think, yes, but what's the purpose of that? Because sometimes long dwell time actually means they're confused and can't find what they're looking for. So it's making the time that they spend in store useful time. Kate? I very much agree with Danielle that adding that elements will be uh, very useful for uh, decision satisfaction uh, and overall experience. And it a lot of the a lot of it boils down to a very simple principle the more sensory cues and the more different senses you're going to utilize the more certain the customer is and the higher the memory and the higher the satisfaction from that product and that brand What's very interesting is that senses don't work in isolation. When we see things, we understand what is the texture, so we touch that in our brain. We know that it's rough or that it's soft. Uh, all of those things, uh, you don't actually have to physically touch something. You don't actually have to physically sense the temperature or the smell. Just even seeing things can help us to imagine. Final question to you all. What would you say is the most important element that influences shoppers' behaviour? Kate? 
So there is no most important thing, to be honest. Um, there's going to be every single little detail, so understanding really how the subconsciousness is processing the information. But if we really want to simplify it, just go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Danielle? Completely yeah. agree with everything Kate said, but I suppose also thinking that perhaps it's the shopper mindset that's the biggest influence. And it, how you tap into that depends on that mindset in the first place. Victoria? I would say if you're thinking about a marketplace which is increasingly convenience-driven, but at the same time people are looking for those more slower, indulgent experiences, then ser customer service becomes the kind of key differentiator there. You've been listening to a Retail Exchange podcast. I'm sure you'd like to join me in thanking my guests, Kate Nightingale, the founder of Style Psychology, Danielle Pinnington, the founder and owner of Shoppercentric, and Victoria Buchanan, the visual trends researcher at the Future Laboratory. I'm Lucinda Bowden. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. This episode is brought to you by retail transformation agency Visual Thinking, in association with Retail Focus magazine. Thanks for listening.